Okay, my name is Leonard Lloyd. Um, my title, I guess my job title, I'm an engineering assistant. What brought me to Connecticut was uh, work, actually. I was a welder. The job started drying up. So I had a friend here in Connecticut who said they could get me work. I packed up what little I had, and I came to Connecticut. But once I got here, this person flaked on me. I said, well, I'm going to stay here and try to make it. The first job I actually found was working in TJ Maxx, and I was the maintenance associate. Really means cleaning up, taking care of the floors, emptying trash, stuff like that. I ended up working for bakery, and I was uh, a mixer. You know, that was a pretty tough job because the mixers were real tall, and I'm real short. After that, I found a job I really liked working in a hospital. I had a substance abuse problem and didn't know it. I had become an alcoholic. I ended up losing my job at the hospital. At that time, I didn't know it was because of my drinking, but it was. Once I lost that job, I found another job, but I still was drinking. I drank it all the way. I found myself homeless. I was living out of my car. I was here by myself because of all my family's from Detroit. And I didn't want anybody to know, you know, I was homeless or anything. So I ended up getting in trouble. So they ended up sending me, they sent me to prison. And while I was in prison, I found out about the open hearth. Their motto is what caught me, helping men help themselves. And that's what I needed. I didn't want a handout. I just wanted a hand up, you know, somebody to just give me a little help. I didn't have anywhere to go. I was still going to be homeless, and I just wanted a chance to get my life together. So I wrote Malloy. I wrote Governor Malloy and told him my situation. I said, I'm trying to save my life. So I remember I was sitting in my, my little cell, and uh, the warden walks up to my cell. He said, you wrote the governor? I said, yeah, I'm trying to save my life. He was like, why didn't you just say something to one of my staff? And I went and I pulled out a folder I had, all the people I had contacted. And I said, here, here they are right here, everybody. I wrote you. I wrote everybody. None of you even answered me. I said, I'm trying to save my life. And he, he looked. He had his captain with him or whatever. And he looked at him and told him, get him out of here. I said, where am I going? He said, you know where you're going. Next day, I was on a bus to the open heart. Welcome to Disinvested, a podcast about reimagining a city and building a stronger, more inclusive community. Created by the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. I'm Tyler Johnson. Today's episode is about skill attainment and workforce development. I know, I know, this may sound like a dry topic, but as you just heard from Leonard's story, having the right skills and opportunities can make all the difference in a person's life. We're facing a critical moment in Connecticut's economy. Manufacturing and other sectors are slowly beginning to rebound from the 2008 recession. At the same time, huge numbers of baby boomers are retiring. What this means is that we have a lot of job openings and not nearly enough people to fill them. And this problem is only going to intensify over the next 10 years. We're left with two choices. Either we actively work to train people and fill these jobs, or we sit back and watch as companies send those jobs out of state. A couple episodes ago, we talked about creating a more inclusive economy. 
Despite our challenges, we have a golden opportunity in front of us. As companies struggle to find qualified workers, people who were never given a chance 20 years ago are now getting the consideration that they deserve. Leonard Lloyd was one of those people. If companies only looked at his resume and background, he never would have been given a chance. But Leonard was fortunate. He met a couple of people who believed in him and saw his potential. They pushed him in the right direction and gave him the opportunity of a lifetime. One of those people was Roy Minnelli. I'm Roy Minnelli, Program Manager of the Aerospace Employment Placement Program. I was working at United Technologies for 33 years, right out of college as an engineer. While I was still working, I started going to the Hartford Encore Program through the transition to a nonprofit area. The question I had in my mind, and this is sort of the question I ask everybody, how can you take what you learned in your previous life and help the community? And as part of that program was a fellowship with Journey Home, which is an organization Hartford focused on the homeless. And so as I was talking to Journey Home about you know, their mission, I asked, where, where did employment come into play? And they said it really didn't. I retired, and then about a month later was my extra retirement party. The MC, who happened to be a friend of mine who also was a um, vice president at a local company, made an off-the-cuff comment about Roy's going to work with the homeless in Hartford, and we're going to hire his clients. It was off the cuff, and about, oh, about three months later, I called him up. I said, you know, this is what you said. Here's the program. Here's what's, what's ahead of us. And he said, you know, I'll come, I'll help you, and I'll support you. It's, it's, it's officially called the Aerospace Employment Placement Program, and it's employer-centric, which means we start with the employer. You know, where are the jobs? 30 years ago, an individual could get a good job, you know, with a high school diploma, GED, and really just having good work ethic and good work skills. Alex Johnson is the president and CEO of Capital Workforce Partners, one of the leading workforce development organizations in the state. Uh, now individuals, because this is a knowledge-based economy, you know, it, that's rapidly changing as a result of the infusion of technology, that individuals need skills. So what is changing is that just the desire to work is not good enough that you need to have a series of skills and certifications to ensure that you have the necessary skills to do the job. And that is what has changed in the economy, and that's impacted on the quality of the work and the work we have to do to continue to upscale the workforce to meet the ever-evolving needs of employers. Right now, there are a number of workforce development programs operating across Greater Hartford. They're training people for 21st century jobs in fields like healthcare culinary, and other industries. The Hartford Foundation supports many of these programs. In this episode, we'll primarily focus on one job sector, advanced manufacturing. Manufacturers across Connecticut are struggling to find enough qualified workers to fill open positions. For anyone looking to gain new skills, advance their career, and earn a family-sustaining wage, advanced manufacturing offers a chance at a better life. As you listen to this episode, Know that the challenges and opportunities that exist in manufacturing also exist in a number of other fields. Dr. Cliff Thurmer, I am uh, the Dean of the School of Business Management and Advanced Manufacturing here at Goodwin College. The latest uh, numbers uh, out of Washington would uh, show that maybe 40 years ago in 79 was the highest, especially around manufacturing, um, with those numbers in 19 and a half million jobs in manufacturing. And then we saw uh, a, a big uh, let down uh, over the 80s into the 1990s, but it wasn't that much. It was like 17, 18 million jobs. And then the bottom fell out in 2009, uh, and uh, we saw about 11 and a half million jobs. 
And only very recently have we seen this resurgence. We're still a ways off from where we were back in 1979. Connecticut and Greater Hartford in particular, we have over 4,000 manufacturers in the state of Connecticut. On any given day, you know, you'll hear anywhere from 12 to 13,000 jobs are unfilled in manufacturing simply because we don't have the trained and skilled workforce that, that's out there right now. Many manufacturers tell me, you know, we, there's no skilled out there, so we can't hire and expand and take new contracts because we don't know if we have the, enough workers to be able to meet the, that need. And so really right now in Connecticut is a, a huge opportunity. I, I think it's a once-in-a-generational opportunity for us right now to be able to uh, skill up our workforce to take on really good paying jobs and careers in manufacturing to meet this workforce because we don't want our 4,000 manufacturers to leave Connecticut. My name is Eileen Peltier. I am the Dean of Workforce Development and Continuing Education at both Asnuntuck Community College, which is in Enfield, and Tunxis Community College, which is in Farmington and Bristol. Most people who have been in the workforce long enough have seen a lot of changes already. Um, it used to be that you start with a company and you stay there for your career. And you could really uh, anticipate making a lifetime commitment to that company and the company would make a lifetime commitment to you. And that's no longer the case, really, on either side. So the workforce is much more mobile. Um, we're also seeing, of course, the rise of the gig economy, which obviously have certain benefits because you're your own boss, you make your own hours. But these are not jobs that are paying really great wages and into a retirement account, and they don't give you health care benefits. There are still gainful employment opportunities that don't require a four-year degree or uh, a postgraduate degree, but do require something beyond that strong back and beyond that strong work ethic. Here's Jay Williams, president of the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. So to the extent that we hear employers saying there are thousands of job openings now and will be more job openings uh, in the future, uh, we need to continue to invest in those programs that provide those skills, invest in partnerships uh, that can bring that knowledge base uh, to those uh, potential employees so those employers continue to invest and stay in our region. And, uh, you know, manufacturing, while it has uh, been battered by the global economy, we've seen the expansion of manufacturing, it still provides, and manufacturing is just one example, still provides a very uh, good uh, opportunity to make a living and provide for one's family and to enjoy a high quality of life. But what we're hearing the employers say is, while you don't need an engineering degree, we do need you to have a certain set of skills and an understanding of how advanced manufacturing works. I think it's a fair statement that no one has the foggiest clue what things will look like in 20 years. Lyle Ray is the executive director of the Capital Region Council of Governments. So I'm quite serious. It's like uh, 10 years ago, we didn't have smartphones. 10 years ago, no one ever heard of Uber or Lyft. So there are things that will happen. But what we do know is that Pratt & Whitney has 30 years of jet engine orders across the river from here. You can walk there from here, actually. It's not that far. Uh, and they don't have the people. The average age is 55, and the people working and putting that together, they're going to be gone. Do the math. If they need 30 years of workers and 55-year-olds, the average, well, we're not getting there. But the vast majority of things are so-called middle-skill jobs, people who are skilled but don't have a college degree but can run sophisticated machinery, who can assemble complicated stuff. Uh, that's the group that we need to do a lot better job on, and we're probably not up to par in, in that. Again, here's Alex Johnson of Capital Workforce Partners. Right now, 65% of our jobs require some level of education and certification beyond high school. 
but less than a four-year baccalaureate program. So that's what we refer to as middle-skilled jobs. Only about 35% of the current workforce meet that requirement and expectation. You know, we work with uh, individuals who are single parents, justice-involved, individuals who are on public assistance, low-literate adults, individuals with disabilities, individuals who are considered second-chance individuals. So by definition, they have a set of barriers. There's really a call to action and a call to attention. So I would say that we need greater funding support you know, for a lot of the training programs that we provide. You know, one of the things that I'm very concerned with is that, as I mentioned with the skills gap, it's really a consequence of the fact that we're not making investments in people in this state. So how are we making investments in people? When that bus dropped Leonard Lloyd off at the open hearth, he didn't know what was going to happen next. That is, until Stephen Haynes, the director of the Open Hearth's Working Man Center, convinced him to apply to Roy Minnelli's Aerospace Employment Placement Program. I said, man, I don't know a thing about aerospace. I was scared. You think about aerospace, all I saw in my head was a bunch of numbers jumbling around. You know, I know it's dealing with math and stuff like that, and I was like, no, I'm not ready for that. They had a job fair at the Open Hearth. And Bell Camp was there, and I handed him my resume. I left. I didn't think nothing else of it. Steve called me to his office, and he said, you have an interview August 4th. That was 2-16. The job fair was in May. Yeah, so in June he told me that. So I'm sweating for, you know, <laughs> two months. It started off with 30, 30 guys. And I'll never forget, uh, you know, they called my name, and I went in there. One of the guys asked me, he said, what are your plans? I said, well, you know, I'm a little older. I don't really have time to be jumping around from job to job. I said, I want to get somewhere where I can retire. And they asked me, you retire there? I said, yeah, man. Roy stood up and he said, uh, you and two other guys will start school in September. I shook Roy's head. I remember I shook his hand. And I walked out, and the other guys were like, how did it go? I said, man, I think I got it. It hadn't dawned on me yet. Like you said, it's just like all the stress was just, just lifted off for me. Because the employers are in need of people, their first goal would be to fire, hire somebody that has experience, that, that, that looks like them. They can't find them. Again, Roy Minnelli. So now the next question is, how do I get people that, that want to work, want to learn, that we can mold them into, into what we want to go do. So they've accepted that. When I talked to the employers, I said, you know, here's, here's the type of clients talk about. They've either been incarcerated, substance abuse, poverty, whatever. We're willing to train them as long as you're willing to employ them. We will not train them unless you're going to employ them. So we start with a commitment with the employer. Once we have that commitment from the employer, now we go to the direct service providers. Um, in this case, the Open Hearth in Hartford, which deals with homeless. Hartford Job Corps, which is more young adults. We're really looking for, you know, um, the brightness in their eyes. Do they want this opportunity? You know, the training we send to we send them is usually about two or three months, and it's not necessarily the training we're trying to see. We're trying to see do they show up? Do they have the commitment? You know, it's snowing today. Do they still show up to school? You know, there's a number of gen gentlemen that have been incarcerated. There are a number that um, substance abuse, but those are actually being dealt with before we see them. But really, the, the, the barriers that we saw was really, with, you know, like I said, within the person. You know, they're intimidated. They're, they're, no matter how hard some of these guys are or 
sharp some of these young kids are, this environment did intimidate them, especially we're dealing with a diverse crowd. And most of our employers were organizations that had a bunch of old white males. I'll say it that way. So they don't know what is perceived to be um, the right way of, of, of working in an office. They're just, they just didn't have that experience. And so there's been a whole learning experience once they're employed. We take more effort in keeping them employed than actually getting them employed. I didn't know none of this. I learned it. But the thing was, I was willing to learn. I didn't know anything, but I asked questions. I went to everybody, everybody. If one was too busy, I went somewhere else. If he was too busy, I went somewhere else until I got the answer. And I wrote down every word they said. I've really grown to where my managers, they've all gotten behind me, wanting more for me. They, they root me on. I was thinking maybe one day I could be an engineer because after the associates, all I need is two more years. But we're going to see how it goes. One thing for sure, I will be at Belkin because I'm loyal. They gave me a chance, saved my life, to program everything, uh, open heart. It saved my life. You know, I had to do my part, though. I will retire from there. If, as long as I can walk or roll or push myself, I will be at work. Leonard's story highlights the untapped potential of so many residents in our region. If we can remove the barriers that keep individuals from being successful and support skills training, we'd not only help a ton of people, but we can also address this major challenge facing our region. The important thing to understand about skill attainment is that it's actually a number of smaller challenges wrapped up into one big issue. Addressing this problem requires taking on several approaches at the same time. In this episode, we'll talk about some of the most common barriers to success and what needs to change. Then, we'll hear how local colleges are creating an employment pipeline. And later, we'll discuss the need to attract and retain talent to our region. Let's begin by discussing a barrier to success that affects many people in our region, reentry. Roughly 2,000 people return from prison to our region every year. Many of them are ready and able to work if only given the chance. In our last episode, we talked about why these returning citizens deserve a second chance. Since they're desperate for workers, employers are more open to hiring them, but they need the skills. Again, Alex Johnson. For second chance individuals, we first need to think of it as an economic imperative. We can't afford to leave any group behind with the tight labor force that we have right now. Secondly, we also need to do a better job of promoting and publicizing the fact that those programs that serve second chance individuals have been successful in terms of enabling those individuals to get the skills, get connected to employment, change their life circumstance and become productive citizens. You cannot define someone's future based on what they've done in the past. Capital Workforce Partners through its second chance program has trained and placed over 300 individuals into employment. 80% are still retained. So we have to let employers know that this is a bona fide workforce. At their Advanced Manufacturing Technology Center, Asnuntuck Community College helps to train students, including adults and returning citizens. Joe Marcelino, an instructor, took us on a tour of the center. Yeah, so we just opened up. It was two years this past June. We just opened up this building, again, because of our high enrollment. Our numbers have been through the roof. We could still accommodate more, though, don't get me wrong. We've expanded our welding program, our uh, 
CNC machining program, and now our electromechanical program. A lot of hands-on our program is structured. We're five days a week, all three of our programs. Um, it's almost like coming to work. We've been working with Department of Corrections for three years now. Um, myself, I actually go to um, the correctional facilities and a couple other instructors also. So when they come out, they might just be missing a couple of the hands-on courses that they have, can't take in the facility, and they take them here, and then within three, four months, we're getting them jobs. The smaller companies, manufacturing companies in Connecticut and Western Massachusetts are willing to give these individuals a chance. And again, it's because of the demand. Um, and a lot of these students, to, for me, when I was teaching at the facility, were some of my best students, believe it or not. I mean, the dedication and the hard work that they were putting in, they wanted a second chance. They wanted something to look forward to when they got out. Again, we're here for the students. That's our main goal. Our job is to get them a job. That's why we run it as a work-ready program. So we're trying to give them the skills that they need for the companies to hire them right away. It is overwhelming at first for a lot of the students. I almost tell them it's like learning another language in a short amount of time. So, um, but again, the outcome is getting a, a job starting off $45,000 to $50,000 a year um, after two semesters. And the biggest thing is the debt that's not following them. You know, everybody thinks of manufacturing, they think what it was 30, 40 years ago, dirty, dingy, and it's not anymore. Uh, manufacturing is really technology driven nowadays. So um, seeing people coming into the program, all different ages, backgrounds is really nice to see. You know, it's, it's changed. It's not just a job anymore. This is a career. It's career driven again, which is really good to see a lot of manufacturing coming back to Connecticut right now. Another group of people facing a massive barrier to success are low literate adults. C.J. House is the executive director of Literacy Volunteers of Greater Hartford. Our first problem, our first challenge is that people don't realize we have a problem. It's a, a pretty hidden, invisible population. Um, and so it uh, can be jaw-dropping when they hear the statistics. In our community, our Greater Hartford community, we have about 40% of adults who fall within the first lowest two levels of literacy, approximately equivalent to sixth grade level or below. That's in the Greater Hartford area. When you hone in into Hartford, that number rises to 70%. It's not just a barrier to success for the individual or their families who, who are living with low literacy. It's a barrier to success of our whole population, of our whole community. Low literate adults, and we have a lot of them living in Hartford, want to be productive, engaged members of the community. They want that. They don't expect to succeed. Um, their experiences in school uh, have been it's a place of failure. I've never been able to succeed in a classroom. And a lot of the initial learning that happens is a student realizing that I can do this. I can succeed. I can make it. One of the key features that keeps adults coming to school is if they feel a sense of community. Um, if they're learning in a class with other people who are also learning at the same level, we teach English for speakers of other languages, basic literacy. We prepare people for citizenship teach digital literacy, uh, we have grammar and writing, um, and we have a, a new program that actually was an initiative of the Hartford Foundation, uh, which is Career Pathways, which is helping low-literate adults get jobs. Adult education has demonstrated, the research is out there, that absolutely someone who is low-literate, who goes to class, who gains those skills, they're going to get better jobs. They're going to be able to contribute back to the community and the economy in a way that they've wanted to all along, they just needed the skills to do that. And adult education can do that. My name is Sandra Garrido, and 
I used start coming to literally volunteer one year ago, and I'm from Mexico City. I came when I was 18 years old. That was really hard for the weather. It's really cold in the language, too. The hardest part is that I leave my family, my father, my mother, and my brothers. That was the hard part. My boyfriend back then, he didn't let me go to school, so I used to start doing nothing. I have jobs before, but I don't really I want to make more money. Like cashier, I was cashier a long time ago, and you don't need a lot of English, but every day is the same. You don't get better. So I'm taking the ESA program, and I'm learning every day a lot of words, how to write, how to speak. I'm going to try to write essays to go to college and get a, a career like a dental assistant. I have three kids. <laughs> It's really difficult when you have little kids because you know, you don't have nobody in this country to help you out. He likes to come to play with kids in the program, so it's more easy for me because I don't have to worry about pay money to take care and they are with good people. I am so thankful with the program because they have a lot of people. So it's so nice. Hi, my name is Mara. I'm a student at Esnanta Community College, and I'm in their advanced manufacturing program. My dad has been involved in this field for as long as I could remember, pretty much. So it's it's pretty much just like in the family. Um, and being a single mom with two kids, I kind of can't pass up these type of paychecks. So it's that's pretty much what, what drew me in. They have supported me really well with if I have to bring my child to a doctor's appointment or this or like anything, if I need to leave early or if I need to come in late, which was one of my number one concerns coming all the way here from Bristol. I was worried about, you know, being able to to fit that regular, you know, parenting stuff in. The advisors and teachers here have been incredible. When you see those machines, you don't see, you know, like a five foot eight girl working on those machines. When you picture it, you see a guy, it's a guy's field. So coming in and being a woman, it's automatically like intimidating. I mean, I don't, I don't really know how else to explain it, but it's, it's really empowering. And just for us as women to, to get out there and show everybody we can do this. This is not just a man's field. It made me like realize that I have more potential than I thought I did, which is really big ego boost. <laughs> so that that was that's really that's another really awesome thing. Um, like I said, it's changed my life, and it's gonna you know it's changing my kids' life. You know, so it's like I'm gonna be able to be, you know, the person that I wanted to be. I'm gonna be able to be the mom that I've always wanted to be. I'm gonna be able to provide for my family without you know, help from my parents or, or any, you know, I can do it on my own, which is, it's a good feeling. Nearly everyone we spoke with in the manufacturing sector said that they were seeing more women than ever joining their programs. Women bring diversity to these workplaces, and several people told us that women displayed greater attention to detail, which made them excel in roles such as quality control. Manufacturing is still a male-dominated field, which keeps a lot of women from applying. 
But another major barrier is childcare. Even in 2019, women assume a majority of childcare duties. The responsibilities that come with raising children keep many people, especially women, from pursuing better careers. The good news is that companies and training programs are starting to realize this, and things are starting to change. Here's Cliff Thurmer of Goodwin College. We have our child center and our experience. We, did, we just recently did a career readiness training program with 17 uh, folks from the East Hartford area, and they would come in. In order for them to participate, they needed the support with the child care. We did the classes right across the hall for the child care office, so they would be able to bring in their kids Someone would be able to be there and watch them. On a break, they can check on them. And these 17 students really excelled in the career readiness piece because we were able to take that one distraction off their plate while they were learning a skill set. Now, some people may say, well, you know, those are unnecessary. This is not important. But if you want to help people change their lives and give them the opportunity, you have to have those support services that they can access so that we can get them to that area where they don't need them anymore. To address our skills gap, we need to create an employment pipeline. This starts with our colleges. The Hartford Foundation has worked with a number of local colleges to create and fund training programs. Colleges have always prepared students for the future. What's different now is that their preparation has become more responsive to the needs of local businesses. Schools work with companies and economic development organizations to figure out what the job market will look like 5, 10, or 20 years from now, and then train students accordingly. This increases the chances that students will find jobs and that both students and companies will remain in Greater Hartford. We spoke with the heads of several local colleges about the new economy. Here's Eileen Peltier, Dean of Workforce Development and Continuing Education at Esnuntuck and Tunxis Community Colleges. So we're really looking to see where are the jobs, are there good wages, is, an, is it an industry that offers a lot of growth, and can we train people for an industry-level credential that an employer would recognize, not just a certificate signed by me saying you sat in a seat for 12 weeks, but something that would really be meaningful for any employer you take it to in that industry. If you get an email from me, the bottom of my email says, um, it says, first job, a better job, your career. Dr. G. Duncan Harris is the CEO of Capital Community College. And one of the things that we recognized here at Capital is that oftentimes our students coming in need assistance with that first job. And what are, and I don't refer to them as, as soft skills, but what are essential skills required to be successful coming on time, uh, understanding the culture of an environment that you might be in, nonverbal and verbal communication. Um, uh, a part of our work should be to help our students get that first job. And so um, we have a clothing closet. You know, it's funny, you may see students wearing ties that I wore last semester. It gives me an excuse to shop, but I'll donate certain uh, business attire that students might need. Uh, we have specific workshops on, uh, you know, interviewing skills, you know, uh, kind of work culture related uh, skills. The second part of that continuum is, is a better job. And certainly we're desirous of our students going from, from 1010 to 2020 or a job that might provide medical benefits, et cetera. And then the last part of that continuum is uh, your career. And our students want what you and I have, which is this idea of a, a particular uh, career field, you know, the big difference between a job and a career. Hopefully, uh, as a result of our students spending time with us, we're able to help them identify the a desirous career field. Here's Dr. Cliff Thurmer, Dean of the School of Business Management and Advanced Manufacturing at Goodwin College. Boy, what are we doing? Um, 
Right now, we're particularly working on, um, in manufacturing, we're working on the skill sets that gets people jobs. And what I'm referring to there is CNC machining, quality inspection, supply chain and logistics, welding. We came up with those, not because that was our idea, but that's what the manufacturers we talked to, and we talked with hundreds of them about what do you need and then how do we get there. And we they involved themselves in creating the curriculum that we're now uh, delivering uh, to our students to get them out there. Who We teach them how to take an idea that they have in their head and then they'll learn how to design it on Mastercam um, and then they'll take it and prototype it maybe on a 3D printer or maybe bring it right into the machine shop and make it. And you see them hold what they've made for the very first time and to see the light come on in their eyes and say, wow, I can do something really significant, really important. Those are the kinds of uh, supports that, that I think help people get out there and make an opportunity for themselves. Because once they are and once they're in those jobs, they change their personal economy. When they change their personal economy, they change that economy for their families and their kids and their grandkids. That's what it's all about. A lot of this episode has focused on giving our local residents opportunities and harnessing the untapped potential of our region. And that's critically important. However, to fill this surplus of job openings and to make our region a better place in general, we also need to attract more people to move to our region and convince people, especially recent grads, to stay. Kim Bishop is the Executive Director of Talent Attraction and Retention at HYPE, which stands for Hartford Young Professionals and Entrepreneurs. Millennials have are such a different generation. Um, and so if you look at kind of the scope of the age of millennials, it's a really long, wide range. But so much happened in that time frame, especially around technology. Because of that, uh, they have so many more options. They kind of get to pick and choose where they want to be. So in order to attract them, you have to kind of be offering what they're looking for. And I think that's very different from any other generation. What I always like to say is that um, Hartford is not New York and Hartford is not Boston and it's never going to be. And that's OK. Um, Hartford is a really fantastic midsize city with fantastic suburbs and, and a lot to offer young professionals and beyond. Your impact can be felt so much greater in Hartford because it's such a small knit community. The one thing that we hear a lot about millennials right now is that they, they want to be connected. They want to feel invested, and that's one of the other things that draws them and keeps them to certain places and organizations and companies is the ability to, you know, be heard, the ability to kind of make their mark in a community. When young professionals are relocating here, they'll Google what to do or young professional group and they find us, and then we do everything we can to get them connected to whatever matters to them, whether it's, you know, sports, whether it's arts or culture or community. And I think that's what makes them want to stay here and grow here. And they have a sense of ownership. And I think that we could kind of all take a page out of that book and think about how do we treat newcomers, not just young professionals, but everyone? Um, how do we treat other people in our community? Are we all working towards making sure that everyone here can be and, and are connected to those things that matter to them? Because that's a lot of times what drives people away. We've covered a number of approaches that will help teach people skills, grow our economy, and produce a more inclusive region. But beyond these approaches, we also have to change our mindset. It's time to update the way we think about jobs, the economy, and who can be a successful employee in the 21st century. 
Jay Williams, president of the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. Uh, first, there was a, a mindset that uh, these were sort of secondary or less than desirable jobs, that if you weren't going to be a doctor or a lawyer or go work on Wall Street or go uh, into computer science, that these jobs were the fallbacks. And nothing could be further from the truth. We need individuals who have those skills uh, we need individuals who also bring an entrepreneurial type thinking to those skills. So even in a manufacturing on an assembly line, 20, 30 years ago, they gave you a set of simple instructions, follow these instructions, don't deviate, don't ask, don't think, just do. Now what they're saying is if you are there and you think that you have a better idea of how to make this product better or how to make it better uh, or more efficiently, we want to hear that. We want you to bring that type of entrepreneurial thinking making sure that we're supporting that type of creative and innovative thinking uh, that has uh, propelled this country forward for 200-plus uh, years that we can't get away from. We can't cede that ground to other uh, areas of the country. And as a country, I don't think we should be ceding that ground to other uh, parts of the globe. So my name is Maritza Santiago, and I am here representing Hartford Job Corps for the APP program. Um, and I work for Belcan over in Winterlocks. So I was originally born in Brooklyn, New York, and from there, we, my single mother actually moved around a lot. I finished high school in East Hartford High and graduated in 2012. I did try going to college, but it didn't really fit into my life. And when I joined the Hartford Drop Corps program, I actually got introduced to Roy, who told me about the APP program and Belcan as a job. Previously, I used to work two jobs. It's gone down to one job. I'm able to pay my rent and not be worried about what am I going to do for the next month. When I first got the job, my first goal was to get a car. I just got my first car, and I've already started my five-year plan to get a house. As for moving up into the ranks, I was actually like a second in command for my manager on my team. I'm able to support my family and all that. My mother is very, she has a lot of physical ailments and mental ailments, but she also takes care of my 82-year-old grandfather, who I also help. Then there's my older sister, who's also a single mother, and her 14-year-old son. So I help also take care of him and raise him and Last Christmas was like the first real Christmas I was able to provide presents for everybody. Seeing the faces on everybody when they opened their presents and they were screaming with joy made me realize this is why I do what I do. Nobody was willing to work with my potential. When I look online and I see the job listings, they're telling you, you need to have a bachelor's, 15 years of experience. And here I'm coming with no college experience, zero to none college experience, no real manufacturing experience. Um, Roy definitely gave me an opportunity on a golden plate. It took the personal relationships because, because be honest with you, Marissa's background and when you talk to a letter, it, it wouldn't justify an HR department bringing that person in. It just wouldn't until you get to know the person, what they can do. And then once they're in there and performing, then and then it just the doors just keep opening up. This is just a start for her, you know, for her aspirations, that it's a journey. And eventually, and I say eventually, probably another year or two, she'll be on her own. I mean, she'll, she won't need our support, really. She'll know what, what she wants to do and what she can do. That's definitely something that 
I feel like I'm already doing like I don't come to you like hey I need bus passes right, but right. I'm like no I can afford these let me let you guys focus on the other people who might need your help right. yep. so you're definitely letting me become more self-independent right. so I was working out at the gym and there was this kid a young guy there who would open up the gym at 4 a.m not that I was there at 4 a.m but he had been there for, since 4 a.m again Eileen Peltier of Asnantuck and Tunxis Community Colleges always had a big smile very nice so he did that starting at 4 a.m and then in the afternoon into the evening delivered pizzas and I said to him you're such a hard worker you're here every day you've got a great attitude you should look into our advanced manufacturing program 10 months later I see him he shakes my hand he's making $75,000 a year at an advanced manufacturer, a major aerospace manufacturer in the area. So success story, that's my personal anecdote, and it was so satisfying for me. Of course, now we had to find someone new at the gym, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, the difference I like to see is a dedication and commitment to all residents of this community. Alex Johnson of Capital Workforce Partners. You know, so I think we really need to think hard about how do we ensure that all individuals have opportunity so individuals can can do what they feel their God has given them talent to do, but at the same time enable them to take care of themselves and their family and be positive um, citizens within the community. So I see lifting up the individual is a strategy to uplift the neighborhood and the community and the family. And I think one of the worst pieces of of untapped potential is when people themselves think that they can't do it. Here's Dr. Cliff Thurmer of Goodwin College. You know, we bring folks in, oh, I, I'm not good at math. Well, let's work with you on that. People don't realize what they're capable of doing because they're afraid to try. Don't think that you have to settle for where you are. There are, there are places like here that will help you achieve that next level for yourself, and, and we want to do it. We need to do it. We have 12,000 unfilled jobs today, and there's only going to get more. Connecticut needs you. We need you. Everyone in our region deserves more than just a job. They deserve the chance to have a successful career, one that gives them satisfaction and pays a family-sustaining wage. We can make this happen by supporting training programs, helping people gain skills, and removing the barriers that prevent people from being successful. In doing this, we can improve our region's economy and change a whole lot of lives in the process. If you need a reminder of why this is so important, just think of Leonard Lloyd. Coming from where I came from, some of us never make it out of there. But prison is not the end of, of life. It can actually be the beginning of a new one. I used to write stuff down and paste it on the wall. This is what I'm going to do. And you look at it every day and it motivates you. You had to be motivated and driven. And that's what I was, man. And here I, I sit, you know. Thankful to anyone out there that may be going through something. Don't give up. Just you hear it so much that you don't really pay it attention, but it, it's true. If you put your mind to it, you can do anything you want to do. Just don't give up. Anybody, please don't give up. Thanks for listening to Disinvested. I'm Tyler Johnson. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and share with your friends. Next week, we'll talk about education. When we were growing up, students were divided in two paths, college and non-college. That type of thinking has changed. How do we ensure that everyone gets a quality education and goes on to a successful career in life? 
You'll hear from educators and students next time on Disinvested. This podcast is created by the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. Produced by Tom Zalesna, Steph McGillivary, Michaela Mendegraw, and Autumn Gordon Chow. Music provided by Among the Acres. Special thanks to everyone who appeared in this episode. The Hartford Foundation supports organizations in Greater Hartford through grants, capacity building, public policy, and more. Visit hfpg.org to learn more.